Dr. Allo again. So a lot of you have been asking me, what did I think of the Carnivore MD uh, podcast where he interviewed me? So um, for those of you who don't know the backstory, I'm going to tell you guys the backstory. So one day I'm just sitting there minding my own business and I see a message from Carnivore MD, Paul Saladino. For those of you who don't know who I'm talking about, Paul Saladino is what he calls himself Carnivore MD. He is the first doctor, you know, Allegedly, I don't really know, but he's the first doctor in the United States to go carnivore and follow this carnivore diet where you eat mostly meat. Now, a lot of people have uh, decided to do this as well and are promoting this type of way of life or this type of eating. Now, obviously, this type of eating goes against everything uh, according to health research, scientific research on diet and, and what have you. So a lot of people were just like, you know, what is going on here? And I'll put a link in the in the show notes on how to uh, get all the studies that I talk about um, on here. So the so he get he sends me this this DM and it was on Instagram and he just says hey do you mind coming on my show I just want somebody on my show that disagrees and wants to talk about differing opinions on cholesterol and that was it neither of us shared with the other person what we're going to talk about what studies we're going to bring up or not bring up it was literally just that we just showed up and started talking now there's a lot of behind the scenes back and forth uh, of our conversations and it's pretty cool maybe I'll release that one day or I'll put it on here but. We talked a lot um, prior to hitting the record button and a little bit afterwards as well. Um, obviously, we were very cordial and friendly, you know, uh, as physicians and, you know, people. We respect each other um, and we res- respect each other's accomplishments. People have called me uh, America's cardiologist and they call him America's carnivore. So it's kind of like a debate between America's cardiologist and America's carnivore. I don't call myself that, um, but that's what people have referred to me as because I'm, I'm all over social media. And I'm talking about, you know, uh, cholesterol and heart attacks and strokes and heart disease and how to prevent it. And he is talking about the carnivore diet, which involves eating mostly red meat, which most cardiologists and most cardiology research and studies are going to show that that's probably not a good idea. So I think that's why he wanted me on there, because he did have Asim Maholtra on there, who is also a cardiologist from Britain who, although he didn't agree completely with uh, Paul Saladino or Carnivore MD, he, he did um, have a lot of doubts about, you know, high cholesterol and statin therapy and whatnot. That's a, a talk for a whole other day. That guy was on um, Joe Rogan um, for two or three hours or something to that effect. And I'll probably go through that one day and discuss why most of what he's saying is actually just false. Um, but either way, um, it turned so so he just messaged me and said, Hey, you know, can you be on my show? I want somebody with a different opinion about cholesterol. We'll talk about it. I had no idea what he was going to talk about. He had probably no idea what I was going to talk about. I did not share any studies with him. He did not share any studies with me. We emailed back and forth a little bit just to nail down the time. And if you guys want to see those emails, I'll be more than happy to share them. But still, in the emails, neither of us said, Here's the studies I'm going to discuss. Here's the studies you're going to discuss. Let's talk about this at all. We just showed up cold turkey. Now, based on what he said during the interview, I can tell that he watched uh, and read some of my stuff or watched some of my videos. I have a lot of videos on social media all day, all night talking about uh, cholesterol because at one point I remember he brought up HDL and I said, well, no, HDL is not cardioprotective. He's like, no, no, no. I know it's not cardioprotective, but just in, you know, just because, you know, people with low HDL generally means they have insulin resistance. So, so I think he understood a lot of what I was saying and a lot of the points that I make. And then at another point, 
point in the uh, conversation, he said, well, I know you don't like the Minnesota study or the Sydney heart study, blah, blah, blah. So it sounds like he's watched a lot of my videos or at least some of them on heart disease, cholesterol, what have you, to kind of get an idea of where I stand, which studies I think are bogus, which studies are not. So it seems like he did at least have some idea of the type of studies and the type of data that I like to look at. So he he kind of knew and he brought up some studies. Now, I did not do a lot of research on him. Um, I mean, I did watch a lot of his stuff. Well, let me take that back. I did do a lot of research. I watched and, and I actually listened to all of the podcasts that he did on cholesterol. One of them was with Malcolm Kendrick, who is this dinosaur general practitioner from, I believe, England or Scotland or somewhere, um, who literally stuck in the 1960s and 70s when it comes to cholesterol theories, but he also had a book to sell called The Cholesterol Con, so he has to stay in that same uh, area uh, and, and not progress because his book is based on literally research from the 1970s where there's this inflammation and injury and that cholesterol just comes in to patch it up and cholesterol is good and it's not bad for you. And of course, he has all these um, cherry pick studies to try to uh, confirm his bias. So obviously, I'm not a big fan of old data and old studies. Obviously, it helps shape the future, and we need some of the old stuff to kind of figure out where cardiology has come from. And it is important to know that data and to know where it came from, but it's not important to still adhere to that. Like, you know, the response to injury theory where cholesterol is just coming in to patch up uh, injured endothelium or the inside of the arteries is simply not true anymore. They have since tested this in the 80s and 90s where they took actual endothelium which is arterial tissue, and they scratched it up and injured it to see what would happen. In fact, the cholesterol, actually, the atherosclerosis happened in the fully intact, non-inflamed, non-injured endothelium. In fact, the injured and scarred, in fact, the injured endothelium and inflamed endothelium just scabbed over and scarred over, and then finally, once it healed, that's when atherosclerosis could take place again. Um, so that's kind of where we were. Um, I did listen to his interview with Asim Maholtra, too, like I said, and I, I didn't think it was... Um, that different. So let me start by uh, discussing what I think um, uh, of the of the total interview. So first of all, I think it went obviously very well. Both of us probably think that we both agree that we both got our points across. He believes my, my general understanding is that he believes that if you're quote unquote metabolically healthy, that high cholesterol is OK. Um, and I think our definitions of metabolically healthy differed. Um, he basically thinks that no American is metabolically healthy. He has he showed multiple studies that show that 90 to 96 percent of Americans are not metabolically healthy. Now, metabolically healthy in his definition means this, you know, this includes people who are overweight, obese, hypertensive, diabetic, um, what have you, um, which is fine. That's that's how you want to define it. I'm not opposed to that. That is actually not a bad definition. Um, my my only concern is that we're telling people that high cholesterol is OK if you are part of that four four to six percent that is metabolically healthy, which it's not. So I went through the studies uh, and this is probably where we mostly disagree. I went through the studies that demonstrated that being metabolically healthy, young, fit, lean, not fat, not overweight, no sign of atherosclerosis is still not good to have high cholesterol. So I talked about the PISA trial, the prevention of early subclinical atherosclerosis. This is a trial where they looked at young people 
who had no signs of atherosclerosis and the and they were not obese they had zero cac scores the only thing they really stratified them by obviously after adjusting for covariates and confounders and you know age sex age match you know risks matched what have you is they looked at their ldl cholesterol their hdl cholesterol triglycerides what have you they found that the higher the ldl cholesterol the more likely you were to have subclinical atherosclerosis now the subclinical meaning like it hasn't manifested yet this is atherosclerosis or plugged up arteries that is present in your arterial walls that we have no way of really detecting. They used IVIS, they used MRI, they used all this fancy imaging that's only available to people in the research world to detect if you had uh, early atherosclerosis. They found that 45%, almost half of people with an LDL cholesterol of just 110, actually had subclinical atherosclerosis by age 42. The mean age in this uh, study was in the 40s, so half of them were younger, half of them were older. They also found that an LDL cholesterol of 130, it was about 54% of people that had atherosclerosis, and when you had an LDL cholesterol of 160, it was about 70% or 68% that had subclinical atherosclerosis, that means undetected yet, um, atherosclerosis. So, over time, in 2018, um, we've lowered the guidelines. The total cholesterol should never be over 150, and the LDL cholesterol should never be over 100. Um, we know that, you know, based on multiple studies, multitude of studies, that and with an LDL below 60, and this is based on the, the Jupiter trial originally when with rosuvastatin 20, when we had a statin potent enough to finally actually really drive people's LDL cholesterols down, once we got people down under 60 into the 55, 57 range, then atherosclerosis just did not exist anymore. Now, obviously, it depends on how long your LDL cholesterol has been high and how long it's been low. But under about 60, you're just not going to have atherosclerosis if it stays that low for a prolonged period of time for the majority of your life. Let's put it that way. The other trial that I talked about a lot was the CARDIA trial. C-A-R-D-I-A. This was a trial of young men between the ages of 18 and 36, and they just, they looked at everything possible you could imagine, the same as the other study, but they found that uh, LDL cholesterol is the single thing that prevented, um, predicted a... Uh, cardiac event, cardiovascular event, whether it's a heart attack or stroke, they found that the lower the LDL cholesterol, um, the less likely you were, it had a negative impact on the time to first event. So it had like a negative 10 years or negative 10 days or what have you. I forget exactly what it was. Um, but you had like a negative time to first event, whereas the people with the higher LDL cholesterols actually had an increase, a faster, more positive time to first event. And you had uh, people with LDL cholesterols in the 130s, 160s, 200, what have you, they had their first event way, way sooner. Uh, so that's the pro that's a huge problem there. And these were young people, young men with no atherosclerosis, no diabetes, no disease, nothing. So very, very important to point that out. Um, so that was kind of the main way that I led. And if you guys noticed when we first started the conversation, he really didn't introduce me. He was just like, okay, tell me what you think of cholesterol. Like it was kind of, uh, awkward maybe, but we had been talking before. Um, so if those of you guys who think this was a little bit awkward and, you know, a lot of people mentioned, you know, why didn't he introduce you? He just kind of threw you under the bus. No, cause we had been talking before and I think he just wanted to kind of get to the uh, topic or point. Um, which was my views on cholesterol to compare and contrast them with his views. He would later on, um, and I think we did a pretty good job of self-moderating. There's no moderator. We kind of just moderated ourselves. It made it a little tricky because I couldn't, like, I would forget some of the points he made. He would forget some of the points I made. I would put up a bunch of studies. I didn't put them on the screen, but he did. He would put up a bunch of studies, and I just can't remember everything he put up, and I couldn't go back and talk about them. Um, and this happened more so later. So he did put up one chart 
uh, interestingly enough, that had to do with HDL cholesterol, you know, which he said uh, mainly um, he's using HDL as a way as a surrogate marker for insulin resistance, which is fine. You can HDL as well as triglycerides can be used for that. There's actually a um, a way of using those to figure out if someone's insulin resistant by something called a lipoprotein IR score, insulin resistance score. We can get into that later. It's not necessary to check, but it you know it is an extra value you can use. So he puts up this chart, which I've I've never seen before. Obviously, I told you guys I didn't know what studies he was going to use, but. If you look at his exact chart, and people have looked at it later and done talks about it, for every level of HDL, whether it was high or low, the LDL alone predicted the outcomes. The higher the LDL, the 2x or 10x the outcome of cardiovascular disease and mortality and incidents and cardiovascular events and what have you. So um, obviously that was... um, a chart that it seems like he puts up a lot. And if you'll notice in a lot of his videos, um, like the ones on the Hadza tribes and cholesterol and what have you, he'll throw up a quick study and he says, well, this study shows this, this, and that. And then if you go actually read the study and you read kind of the rest of it, it really doesn't show what he's saying it showed. Um, so just be careful with that, people. I'm always a huge proponent of people studying on their own and learning. If you're capable of it, you know, some people just can't. But if you're capable of doing your own research and reading studies and evaluating data, you've been through a PhD program or you have a doctorate degree of some sort that required you to do some high-level research and interpretation of research, then fine, go ahead and take a look at those. Um, but definitely, um, that is that is something that I feel like people really need to dig into. Don't just take the studies at face value from these medfluencers and healthfluencers that just throw up stuff that's super contrary to everything uh, that we believe in. Um, so that was that. I think we both did a pretty good job of uh, self-moderating and covering the cardiovascular stuff. He... Um, we, we went back and forth a little bit on how we define metabolic um, syndrome or, or not metabolic syndrome, metabolically healthy, um, w- which was not a big deal. At the end, he did agree that LDL is highly associated with uh, atherosclerosis. See, there's a lot of these medfluencers and these metabolic health idiots that um, – try to completely deny that LDL cholesterol is a thing um, or is involved in atherosclerosis. You know, there's like, I'm not going to name names, but there's a ton of them. You know, all these medical doctors and chiropractors and what have you that um, talk about cholesterol and they say that eating high saturated fat or having high LDL or high cholesterol is not a big deal. It's not involved at all. It's the inflammation stupid, which is obviously false. We've, you know, I've touched about, touched on that a lot during many of my videos. Um, But at least Paul, and this is the, the reason I agreed to talk to him it's because he doesn't deny the science. He's not one of these uh, medfluencers that just feels that, uh, you know, it's not the LDL and that's it. He actually knows that it is the LDL, that LDL is heavily, heavily involved. Um, I believe, and this is a point of distinction that, you know, between the two of us, I believe that LDL cholesterol causes atherosclerosis. I actually started out that whole talk with the Brian Sferens article from the European Association of uh, atherosclerosis, um, the European Atherosclerotic Society, um, where he went through every single study ever done on LDL cholesterol or cholesterol in general, and the totality of evidence showed that LDL by by itself, in and of itself, actually causes atherosclerosis. The whole premise of that study was to say, hey, let's, what criteria needs to be met in order to prove without question without a shadow of a doubt, that LDL LDL cholesterol causes atherosclerosis. So they went through that. They went through that um, 
mind game, I guess, let's put it that way. And they figured out, well, here's what we need to show or prove to show with absolute certainty that LDL cholesterol causes atherosclerosis. And they did, you know, every single study ever been done. The bottom line, the higher your LDL cholesterol for the longer, the more likely you are to have atherosclerosis and um, heart disease. So they proved that LDL cholesterol causes atherosclerosis. Without LDL cholesterol being high, there is no atherosclerosis. You look at you know, kids born with genetic mutations like PCSK9 loss of function genes and what have you. Um, people running around with LDL cholesterol of 10 to 15 and never have atherosclerosis. It's just not possible. Um, so you do need atherosclerosis. So the one point of contention between myself and Paul Saladino was that um, I believe that atherosclerosis causes, I believe that LDL cholesterol causes atherosclerosis while he believes it is heavily involved. Those were his his exact words. I believed it was the spark that lit the fire. He believed it was part of the wood and some other spark lit it when he thinks it's inflammation. Now, we have tons of studies on people who have inflammation or don't have inflammation and whether or not they um, have atherosclerosis. I think I proved my point, you know, multiple times, you know, where it's not really inflammation. There are tons of, you know, studies done on whether you measure inflammation or don't measure inflammation. Um, the other issue is like people with insulinomas, um, people who have uh, insulin secreting tumors and very high amounts of insulin floating around in insulin resistance that don't have any atherosclerosis whatsoever. Um, the other point that was made that I thought was a little bit odd is that he said everybody who's obese has insulin resistance. So first of all, that's not true. The incidence of type 2 diabetes in the United States and the world is 9.1% of the population. Type 1 diabetes, which is a... Uh, random mutation that occurs it causes your immune system triggers your immune system to kill your beta cells in your pancreas is about one ish percent of the population so um that's the people who have full-blown basically type 2 diabetes about nine percent now if you look at the studies the amount of people that have insulin resistance which are not yet full-blown diabetics or they're still pre-diabetic or insulin resistant before they become diabetics you're looking anywhere between 15% of the population, maybe up to like 35, 38%, depending on the study you look at. Now, obesity, if you have the genetics, people don't understand this, but if you have the genetics for diabetes or insulin resistance, you can get diabetes and insulin resistance, right? If you don't have the genetics for it, it's not going to happen. So we have people that are four or 500 pounds that have no genetics for insulin resistance and don't have insulin resistance. And when I made that point, he just kind of laughed and thought it was impossible that somebody who weighs 500 pounds did not have insulin resistance, which I thought was odd. And apparently the internet and Twitter world and what have you also thought that was a odd comment. Um, but either way, that doesn't matter. That doesn't take away from the overall um, conversation. Um, insulin resistance and smoking and diabetes and all and, and hypertension, and all that stuff makes it worse. But you have to have high ApoB or high LDL cholesterol to begin with in order for all of those things to actually like matter and make it worse. If you have high ApoB with nothing else, you're one of these kids born with familial hypercholesterolemia where you have uh, high ApoB uh, high LDL cholesterol, 200, 300, what have you, 180, whatever, um, you are going to have atherosclerosis at a very, very young age. And they try to claim, well, no, because they have th thrombosis and clotting disorders. No, they don't. That's all been checked. They have no genetic clotting disorders other than their arteries are being destroyed from the inside out. That's a whole other topic. I have an entire blog post on my article on familial hypercholesterolemia. We go through the monogenic homozygous, monogenic heterozygous, polygenic homozygous, polygenic heterozygous, some forms of familiar hypercholesterolemia, you're dead by age 10 or 12. 
you've had your first heart attack by age three or four and some of them you can live a lot longer and have your first heart attack by 45 50 maybe 35 and some of them uh, but either way go to my blog dralonet slash blog the link will be in the show notes um, you can read my articles on uh, familial hypercholesterolemia um, definitely definitely if you're fascinated by this topic you should go there next we moved on to the seed oil discussion um, and I don't know, he pulled up a bunch of studies. Some of them, if you go back and kind of freeze frame the video, I had no idea what he was going to talk about. But I, I started out by talking about, you know, my study, which I'll get to. But he put up a bunch of studies about newborns with mom's colostrum and breastfeeding and seed oils. And, and it just like a lot of it to me um, wasn't definitive data. They were smaller studies what have you. Um, one of them was a bigger meta-analysis, but a lot of them were like 29 people. There, you know, most of these people that quote this research on seed oils talk about rat studies from the 1950s or 1965. Rat studies showed this and the Minnesota coronary experiment, this and the Sydney Heart, like all of those are nonsense studies that have been debunked and are just terrible studies. So I pulled up a meta-analysis well, I didn't pull it up, but I discussed it. It was published in Circulation, talking about seed oils. And I bring this on this one up a lot. Um, it was a meta-analysis that ended up including 68,000 people where the endpoints of the study were reached 15,000 times. Now, what does that mean? Endpoints are like somebody had a heart attack, somebody had a stroke, somebody died, somebody had a cardiovascular event, somebody had sudden cardiac death, somebody had what have you. You know, those are the endpoints, you know, all-cause mortality, cardiovascular mortality, stroke, heart attack, fatal MI, non-fatal MI, fatal stroke, non-fatal stroke, all of those are called endpoints. So the endpoints in this study were reached 15,000 times or more. There was over 68,000 people in it. A lot of these meta-analyses that were included in the study, they followed people around anywhere from two years up to 31.9 years. So a lot, a lot of data. And not only that, there was 76,000 tissue biopsies to make sure that the people consuming seed oils, linoleic acid, were actually consuming linoleic acid and had it build up in their tissues to confirm that they were in fact eating it or consuming it. And these studies showed that seed oils or this linoleic acid or these, you know, vegetable oils were actually cardioprotective. So we battled a little bit back and forth on that topic. I don't know. I don't think he, I don't know, you, you know, you can decide who you think won that or didn't. I believe that the study that I always post um, is the most accurate and um, conclusive data. And, and one thing I always post on social media, there's not been one single human outcome trial that showed harm from seed oils. I mean, just let that sink in on, on Twitter one time or X, whatever it's called now. I posted a post that seed oils are cardioprotective. Show me one single human outcomes trial that shows that seed oils are not cardioprotective or do cause harm. And literally nobody has even been able to answer one. One time a guy posted four articles or four links to articles and I clicked on them. One was a Petri dish study. One was a test tube study. One was a rat study. And one was I don't know, some other nonsense. So none of them were human studies. You cannot tell me that all we have is a rat study from 1965. There's been like 60 or 70 more years worth of data and evidence on actual humans. Human outcome trials are the best when it comes to studying 
effects of things on humans and there's no reason to go to a rat study um, or a petri dish or a test tube or any of this stuff or observation you observed one person or two people no you don't need to do that so either way um, that's my conclusion on the seed oils we went back and forth on a couple other topics we kept running out of time we could have actually talked for eight hours if we wanted to Um, one of the things that i think um was a little bit touching and, and, and very humanizing. Um, at the end, we, we, you know, off camera, obviously off recording, we started talking about social media and its effect on us as influencers, creators, what have you. And, and it was, it, and, it, and, and we were talking about how, and he, he brought this up actually, that it becomes very difficult on the creators when they read the comment section. Like if he posts something on Twitter and, you know, a bunch of people respond with like negative comments and look at how you look and what you think. And, you know, you don't know anything and you're just a moron. You're a clown, blah, blah, blah. You know, you get all these ad hominem attacks and we're all guilty of this. You know, I, I've probably um, done these too. I'm not proud of it. I shouldn't do that. Um, but like, how do you deal with this? So we talked about that for quite a bit of time, actually, Um and I don't know that we came up with a conclusion. I mean, you can't not read the comment section because you sometimes need to respond to some intelligent questions. And the reason we're posting these things as creators is not for our own, you know, to feel good or for our own like egos. We're posting these things to help people learn. And I think one of the other things that was fascinating um, is in the beginning of the podcast or maybe towards the end. And I don't remember if this was recorded or not. I haven't gone back and listened to it. But we both said, listen, I think it was definitely one of the emails that we sent back and forth. I was like, listen, Paul, he's like, he's sent me an email somewhere along the way. He's like, listen, let's keep this cordial and friendly. I don't want it to be negative. I was like, yeah, of course, Paul, I believe we're both trying to help people, um, just in different ways. Um, so, um, that was one thing that we, that we kind of talked about off air. Like, yeah, look, we're both in this to help people. And he kind of did conclude with that. Now I remember he did conclude with that in the, um, uh, podcast. He did say, listen, I believe you're a good guy. You're trying to help people. You know, we're all in this together. We're trying to help people live healthier, happier, and longer, what have you. And, you know, obviously the diet you would recommend, which in my case is a Mediterranean style diet. In his case, it's a carnivore diet. Um, he said, I think we would tell people to eat differently. Um, he does, if you guys don't know carnivore, I posted a huge blog article on the carnivore diet and all the research you can go on my blog and read it. But definitely um, carnivore diets with a lot of saturated fat, a lot of red meat, increase inflammation, increase fat storage in your liver, you know, that, you know, uh, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Um, you end up with more inflammation, more cancer, all the GI cancers increase, all of that. Um, whether it's grass-fed or not, whether it's processed meat or not, makes minimal difference. You know, I've gone through all those studies as well, and i published videos on it. Um, but at the end of the day, he did agree with me that LDL cholesterol is heavily involved with atherosclerosis and that for the vast majority of people, the lower is uh, better. Um, but the interesting conversation was the off the air stuff about how much, you know, comments and things on social media actually affect the creators. And it really does. You know, I used to get some anxiety. I'm going to be vulnerable with you guys. I used to get some anxiety sometimes when I was about to go on Twitter to check the responses or the tweets or the what have you. So my solution to this to keep my own sanity and keep my own uh, level headedness was to just block some of these accounts. Some of these accounts literally just repeat the same nonsense over and over again. And they, they get rude. Like if you were just commenting in a way that was 
well, here's what my data suggests, or, you know, maybe you could explain this or what have you. If it was like useful and productive and non, um, I don't know, predatory maybe, or non-evil, non-mean, I don't know what the word is. But if these people were, were posting in a way that was asking for advice or more educational or just wanted to bring about points that I may have left out or Paul may have left out, that would be fine. But some of these accounts are just, um, I don't know what the word is. They're just super aggressive and angry and they cuss. I usually don't block people unless they start cussing or they start making fun of how you look or your mom or your family or anything like that. And when those, when accounts start doing that and that's when I'm like, you know what, I don't need to deal with this. And then I'll block them. And Paul said kind of the same thing that he also, um, believes similarly. But anyways, the other thing we talked about is kind of fun. We talked about our kids. I told him that Costa Rica, which is where he lives is one of the, we had a lot of Wi-Fi issues, by the way, <laughs> we had the, the Wi-Fi kept disconnecting and reconnecting at one point he had to go and disconnect his router and reconnect it. So living in a, a country that's not as developed, there's definitely some technical difficulties, but we got through it. Literally took probably four hours to put together that two and a half hour, uh, podcast. Um, but I did tell him like, Hey, look, I want to come down to Costa Rica one day and I'm going to have a tomahawk steak with you. Like, I don't mind. I don't have food phobias. I will eat steak. I will eat cereal. I will eat whatever. Um, anything can be incorporated in a healthy, uh, dietary eating pattern. Um, so that, those were kind of my like behind the scenes thoughts on this, you know, postmortem of the carnivore versus the cardiologist. Um, it was definitely fun very friendly, very cordial. Um, the reason I, like, again, the reason I agreed to debate Paul, a lot of people are like, why don't you debate this guy? Why don't you debate that guy? Why don't you debate? Like, first of all, I've listened to some of their stuff. They have no idea what they're talking about. Like you cannot talk to somebody who doesn't even know the difference between LDL cholesterol and apolipoprotein B, um, or doesn't even know what an HDL particle does or how it's formed or where it comes from. You can't talk to someone like that or have a debate with them because it's like debating a five-year-old. Imagine if I go Google how to fly planes and then I want to go have a debate with a commercial airline pilot. Like that is just nuts. Paul is different. Um, Paul um, knows a lot about cholesterol. He has dedicated a lot of time to studying it. And I applaud him for that. He's not a cardiologist. He's a psychiatrist, but he did work as a physician's assistant in cardiology, um, which is good because he does recall a lot of that information, like the radial arteries versus vein grafts, you know, in the heart and whatnot. Um, so I applaud him. He actually knows his stuff for the most part. Um, he knows that LDL cholesterol is heavily involved and he doesn't think it's the cause, but definitely heavily involved in atherosclerosis. I wouldn't have debated somebody or talked to someone who's a science denier. He doesn't deny the science. He doesn't deny that part of it. Um, he just comes to a slightly different conclusion, which is okay. But the overall message is still that LDL cholesterol is either the cause or heavily, heavily involved in atherosclerosis. You know, pick how you want to define it, but that's kind of what it comes down to. But either way, um, we had a good good conversation, good discussion. If you want to go listen to it, go over to his podcast or his YouTube channel to listen to it. Uh, maybe one day I'll release the entire uh, behind-the-scenes stuff that we talked about. It was a fun conversation, um, but either way, we'll have fun with it. My kids actually think it's hilarious. Every time they eat steak or something, they're like, hey, you got to send this message to Paul. <laughs> so... Um, we, uh, I'll do that. Maybe I, I have been tagging him in some of those videos. My kids love it. I think it's hilarious. But anyways, I hope you uh, learned a lot. If you have any questions, drop them below or follow me on follow me and message me on any of my social media accounts. And until next time, we will let you go. 